everyone. Welcome back to the CTYA podcast. We are so glad that you joined us here today. Sit back, relax, get out your favorite pencil, your favorite notebook. May you be blessed in the Lord. told me I could only teach. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Brzezinski. Um, it, you know, he was super kind to invite me to be part of this series that I'm finding out now. Can you get a video, not of me, of this group? Because I can't tell you how many years we prayed and sought after God, Lord, in the thriving, hungry, young adult group. Not, not folks in their 35, 40 years old, young adult group, people coming out of high school that are hungry to please God and to work together. And there was times in the past when this group almost got completely annihilated. We were just going to shut it down because there were two or three people. Or hey, for a while I served where it was just me. Was you in it then? Or was it me, you, and my son and like seven women? Can you feel our pain? No, you don't? Okay. It was hard. Uh, we did pray for men. Women started getting married. Bless God. It was... It, we did. Hey, you guys are just living like in... You got it all together. It's good times. But there was some blood, sweat, and tears that went into this. So, um, man. I don't even know how we got all over that. You got a video, bro? Not a picture, a video? Okay. I asked for that because Brother Brzezinski, all the time, every time we talk and it's like serious talk, it's always about, hey, I need a bigger room. And I'm like, you don't need a bigger room. <laughs> and I'm looking, I'm like, yeah, he needs a bigger room. <laughs> this group is growing. You couldn't fit more people in here if they wanted to be here. This is, this is nuts, bro. You need to work on your salesmanship. I'm just saying. When you approach and talk about it, you have net. It's just like, hey, with the whole fair thing. You, if you want one day, you push three days. Then they give one. They feel like they won the battle, but you got exactly what you wanted. <laughs> You'll learn that trick, bro, with marriage. So how to compromise, that's a whole nother lesson. Tonight, Brother Brzezinski says, hey, we'd love to have you. If you can teach on why evangelism, and if you can make sure and keep it like real teachy, teachy apparently teaches the way we roll up here, which is great. Keep it teachy, and I need you to keep it at just under 30 minutes, which none of this introduction counts. So he had a lot of rules, and then I walk in, and a young man hands me this little gadget. They tied me up in it, made me turn it on to record tonight. All of this is new. All of it's new. So there's a lot of rules. So I apologize in advance for the many rules that I will break <laughs> over the next 30 minutes, Brother Brzezinski. So why evangelism? What a great question. Something that for the last two or three years probably I've had my entire mind and heart consumed by here at Calvary. It was something that we were asked to help with, my wife and I, uh, from the Pettigos. I'm going back a few years now, and then when we left Young Adults and 
the Brzezinski stepped in and took over, and God just blessed as I'm seeing right now. Man, I can't tell you. Okay, I'm going to pause. Because there was a moment where I struggled to step down from young adults. I love the group we had. 20-something, 30-something people at that time, definitely older than we should have been. Loved it. It was our heartbeat. Me and my wife, these, my kids bonded with so many people at that time. But God made it really clear, you need to step down. And He made it really clear, it's not about you. That can be hard to swallow sometimes. Step down, and I knew without a shadow of a doubt that the Brzezinski's could take everything forward. And then when I get to sit back and watch, bro, I don't get jealous. I get excited when I see what God is doing in this group. And the fact that it happened under new leadership doesn't matter. It's kingdom work. Let's keep that in mind. It's always kingdom work. And you are always just one person, one vessel that God is using. You can move on and God can bring someone else in. He works like that all the time. So, side note. Why evangelism? So what do you think about? Let me ask you that question. This will be real teachy, bro. There will be dialogue and everything. What do you guys think? What pops into your head when someone says evangelism? Outreach. Outreach. Okay, real common. Okay. Personal witnessing. All right. Come on, shout out something. You said make this real interactive, and your whole group's sitting on me. Preaching. Okay. Door knocking. This is great. Bible studies. A lot of different things pop into our minds when we think evangelism. Uh, how many times is the word evangelism in the New Testament? Oh, zero. Evangelist is in there for a whopping three times, none of which are self-defining. And so in order to get a true definition on evangelism, we just have to look at the language and the definition. Um, Outside of the fact that we can see evangelism played out throughout Scripture, So we're not going to get a clear definition in Scripture, but we're going to see it played out so that we know how we are to be focused on evangelism, how it is to interact and engage with our lives. But the definition, so historic definition, is the bringer of good news. It's really broad. So the good news, the gospel, if we're evangelizing for Christ, so the the bringer or the deliverer of that news is the evangelist. And so if we're evangelizing, then we're just out sharing and spreading the gospel. We're talking about Jesus Christ. We're introducing people to who He is. Maybe we're testifying at work, talking about what He's done in our lives. But but it is all built around sharing with somebody else who He is. And so now we have a definition. So we have a working definition. Some people would argue that it's definitely more geared towards sharing it with people that have either uh, not embraced or have never heard it before. I don't know that that's necessarily the case. For our working definition tonight, it's going to be sharing it with anybody. Sharing and talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ is evangelism. So it's not enough, though, to really just get an understanding of what evangelism is. 
We know the what. So why do we evangelize or why would we share the gospel? Brother Brzezinski. People need to be saved. People need to be saved. Romans 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul says. For it is the power of God. It's the power of God unto salvation. The gospel. Why would we share it? Why would it be so important for us to be willing to go out and spread this news to people that we encounter? Because outside of the gospel, there is no way for them to be saved. If we want to see people saved, if we want to see them reached, if we want to see them delivered, it's going to take the power of the gospel. Paul says he's not ashamed of that because of the power that it has. So when we're thinking about evangelism and we start to think about different reasons why we wouldn't feel comfortable talking to someone, right? Because we've all faced it. I mean, I look around the room and I cannot be the only person that's been scared or afraid to speak out or maybe embarrassed in a certain setting or around certain people to share my faith. I've been in the corporate world for years now and in its always unique environments. I'm on the company trips where everybody's drinking and they all will notice that I'm not drinking so the conversation gets started and I get to have a choice. I can use the moment to evangelize and say, I don't drink because, and share my story? Or I can just tell them I don't drink, and a lot of people think, okay, maybe it's a healthy thing, or maybe it's something different. No. No, there's a reason for that. Or you're sitting at uh, work, and I'm sitting with some guys, and and everybody's on this week-long trip, and, and there's men and women there, but none of our spouses are there. And I look across the tables, and I'm like, man, these guys are married, and these women are married, but this... They're not married to each other. But while they're here and they're drinking and they're partying, things are going way further than they should be. And the young guys would look at me and other young guys and be like, what are you guys doing? And I'm like at the hotel by 10, in bed, calling my wife, checking in. Not because she makes me, but because it's just good to talk to her. So I'm just saying evangelism is something as general as just speaking to somebody about the gospel, sharing the gospel with someone, and you don't have to beat their door down to have an opportunity. It's in your day-to-day life, like those moments I mentioned at my job. Many other instances in my uh, time in the corporate world or in my career have I had opportunities to talk to people and pray with people. And you realize that if I want to be effective in it, I need to look for opportunities to do it. Right, Because sometimes you just get real easy opportunities. They come in and they say, so how was your weekend? Oh, man, God moved in such a powerful way on Sunday. And you don't have to go into deep details. You're not busting out in tongues. You're just talking to them and saying, listen, God really moved in a powerful way. And they may not ask then what happened, but when Monday comes around next week and they say to you again, hey, how was your weekend? And you're like, man, God really moved at church this past weekend. Sunday was incredible. And you can say stuff like somebody got baptized. And you can say, you know, when it's not about you and you're talking about somebody else, it makes it so much easier. I saw this person get baptized and the look on their face when they had their sins washed away was priceless. And you don't have to be like extrovert crazy about it. You just share it. 
and, and people catch that. And they start to feel your heart and they start to put together what you're saying with how they see you're different in your day-to-day life, whether it's on your job or, or uh, at school, whether if you're in college or not. And then that all starts to add up. And that is what evangelism is. No one mentioned it in here, but some people think evangelism and they think tent revival. They think big events. Like, like, uh, like evangelism is always a date on a calendar. I got... Brother Marco Treno's dad has become a very close friend to me um, in a short period of time, primarily because of his love for souls and his gift in evangelism and discipleship. He's helped me and taught me and trained me so much in the last few months, but he's always telling me, Juan, don't think about big events. Because at IBC, we're right now planning out the block party for next year, or for this year's coming in September. We're trying to get the block party planned out, and and we had probably 250 people involved in the block party last year and zero guests that came and made it past one service in church. And it's like, man, our music was rocking. Everyone was having a good time. We had had smoke and barrel barbecue. Folks were making, remember we were making coffee drinks and specialty drinks for free. I mean, we just dog treats because everyone here has a dog in the neighborhood. Like we did everything we could to try to make it something that would be attractive um, and spent a decent amount of money to do it. But that's not evangelism. Is it part of evangelism? Sure. But big events should only be the thing that you use to grab the attention of the people. But it's got to be followed up with this daily, weekly, or monthly interaction. Evangelism is more than just a big event. And if you had to pick between the two, let me tell you, if you ever leave this great church, we have this beautiful building, the Bible College, the school. If you ever go off somewhere else and you're in another church and you don't have all of those resources and you're trying to decide, what do I do? What do I focus on? Teach people to teach Bible studies. Teach them just to love on people and to naturally care so much about them and their soul that I want them to hear this good news. I want to build the relationship because in building the relationship, I don't want to uh, put you on the spot. I almost want to ask you your dad's famous saying, but he says, listen, Jesus took sinners and made friends out of the sinners and then made disciples out of the friends. That's how we evangelize. We might not find a clear definition in the text, but we're going to see that example played out over and over and over again. How do I reach that person? How do I get through to them? It's going to take a lot of work. But man, when you love it, right? They say if you love your job, you never work a day in your life. It's not true. Um, (laughs) But it helps. It definitely helps. So, with Romans 1.16, how does that line up with the big picture? If this is evangelism, if, if the gospel and preaching the gospel or sharing the gospel is, is how it's to get done, what, what does that do in alignment with the rest of it? We know the mission of Christ, and we want to make sure that everything we're discussing in evangelism is mission critical. So we look at Luke 19.10, and we get this simple explanation. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so we know from what Paul's teaching in Romans that evangelism is helping us get to that place where Christ can work in somebody's life 
and he can save someone that is lost. So we're in absolute proper alignment with everything else that God is wanting to do and to accomplish. Let me take you to uh, Romans 10 here. In Romans 10, verses 13, it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Four points here. Salvation is intended for everyone. It's clear. It's intended for everyone. No matter how broken, no matter how old or how young, no matter how our eyes see them in their current condition and current state, that's not how He sees them. It's not. Everyone salvation is for. But it requires everyone to first call on the name of the Lord. No one can call on the name of the Lord if they have not believed on Him. They've got to believe. But no one will believe on the Lord if they have not heard of Him. They need to hear it. And no one can hear of the Lord unless someone preaches or tells them about Him. So it brings it back to there's this process that, that God is working through in somebody's life once they hear of Him. It goes from hearing to believing to calling on Him to reaching a place where they can be saved. But when we read this context, we think of preacher and instantly we're thinking through our like 2021 North American minds and eyes and we think pulpit. We think Pastor Carson, Pastor Mooney. We think those that are called to preach, um, those who are involved in the ministry, and that's where our mind goes. And that's not even at all what is being said here. When we're using the word preach here, and you that like to go back and look at the language, go back and look at it, but it's coming up with the same definition that we did when we looked at evangelism. It's the person bringing the good news. Not somebody that we think of in our current culture and mindset of church identity, but somebody that's just willing to share the gospel. So when it says how beautiful are the feet of them that preach, it's not those that are called to preach that are standing out different from every one of us in this room. Who would be brave enough in this room to say that you have zero call to a licensed or pastoral ministry? It's okay. Two, that's incredible. Either, okay, thank you. Guys. Sis was like, I'm not going all the way up. It's all right. Hey, right, I can tell you this. I wish we would do this in Bible college. I wish they would let Bible college students know that you may be in this college being trained, but you may not be called to a ministry that's going to be full-time licensed ministry. It's okay. My gosh, right? If we look at the numbers, if we relied on the licensed ministers, we would fail. We win the world by the body of Christ, not by the licensed ministers. So evangelism isn't effective because you have a license or hold a title. Evangelism is effective when it's the culture of our day-to-day lives. It's who we are. We love people, so we talk to people about Christ because we know if we don't share Christ with them, they won't hear it, they won't believe, they won't call on His name, and they'll never be saved. 
That's why we do it. So why evangelism? Evangelism is a vital part of the work that Christ has called us to do, but it's only a part. It's only a part. Because evangelism, if I put it under a bigger umbrella, it fits under discipleship. Because the real work, if we want to understand it from the context of Scripture and what we're taught from Christ, is not just to share the gospel, but to disciple people. To reproduce yourself in others. That's the purpose of it. That's why we do classes like this where we have young adults gathering together and we're ministering to just this age group, just where you're at in a way that you can understand it because Brother Brzezinski wants to reproduce what God has done in him into you so that you can do that in someone else's life and then so on and so on and then so on. How can you say it's just a part? We've always been taught that evangelism is so important. It is like 400 degrees in here. We need a new... I'm pretty sure we just need to turn it on. But, I mean, goodness. If you want to save a few dollars, go right ahead. Next time, let me know. No tie. I'll be all right. So, so it's only a part. And I say it's only a part for us to understand, and I'm going to try to hurry up here. Because the goal was, remember what Christ came to do. Seek and to save the lost, right? The entire purpose. If you want to sum everything up, that's what he came to do. Paul said that you do that through the gospel, right? Okay. When is somebody saved? If our goal is to save them, if Christ's goal is to save them, when are they saved? When? Baptism or Okay. So, so these are good. You guys just nailed it. So it begins with the new birth experience, right? We know that. The gospel is what transforms their life. They repent. They're baptized. They're buried. They come out of the water. They're a new creature in Christ. God fulfills His promise, gives them the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's the earnest of their inheritance, Right? And we understand what that means. Like, that's just a down payment. It's just saying, okay, I want you to know that with this stamp upon you, with you receiving my spirit, I'm coming back for you. That's the promise he's given us. But here's the deal. We are in the fight until we leave this earth. So if you want to know when somebody's saved, it's when they make it to heaven. When they leave this earth and step into eternity is the only time we're secure in our relationship with him. Until then, we're fighting each and every day. We're walking by faith. We're trusting Him. We're leaning on Him. And He's given us the strength to overcome this present world so that we can be ready for when He comes back for His church. So if we want people to be saved, we've got to figure out and understand what Scripture teaches. How do we do that? We do that by beginning with the Gospel. Transform their life. Right? Let God... When somebody goes down in baptism... You don't have to explain about that. Once you've taught them and they understand what's going to happen and then they feel it for themselves, it's powerful. Like, listen, the, the Word of God, it's true. And what He says works. It works, man. And so when they go down and they experience being cleansed and all their sins washed away for the first time and they come out of that water and we've done our job of helping them understand what's going to happen and, and what's really taking place, Man, they're like on another level. 
after baptism. But then when they get hit with the Holy Ghost, right? We think it's crazy looking because God chose tongues. But how cool is it that He made it such a distinct thing, such a distinct sign for us to know. So there's no doubt. And when that happens in someone's life, come on. Listen, that, it was so bizarre when I came to this church and I started hearing about speaking in tongues. So bizarre. But what happened? Somebody was teaching me and discipling me. And everything they told me about Christ, as I took step after step, proved to be right over and over again. To where I got to the place where I was like, I want the Holy Ghost. It no longer was crazy to me to be thinking I would be speaking in a language. It was not weird or bizarre. It became something that I desired. Like I wanted that. And then once that happened, gosh, changed my entire life. My entire life. God kept me while I was in prison by the power of the Holy Ghost. Now see, those stories, I promise I tell too many people. My boss would say, I share too much of my story. Not my current boss, Pastor Carson's cool. <laughs> but man, I'm looking for an opportunity to tell somebody I was in prison. Like, I want them to just, because that always gets their attention. Oh, you were what? <laughs> they always want to know for what. Right. <laughs> and, like, and I always put that at the very end of the testimony. Like, just talk to them about God and His grace. So we want to do and be obedient to Scripture. Matthew 28, 19 spells this out for us. It says in the KJV, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Check New King James Version or just about any other translation and you'll get this one key explanation at the beginning of it where it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You could take that very literally to say it this way. As you go, as you go, make disciples. Every day as you go, as you live your life, make disciples. It wasn't like this this, this extra... uh, add-on or challenge he hit him with with his last few moments on earth it wasn't that at all it was like listen i've been preparing you for this now i'm going to release you and as you go out and as you are followers and obedient to me make disciples engage with people share the gospel with them spend time with them love on them care about them acts 246 and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. There is this understanding from, if we look at the first century church to who we are today, there's this big difference, right? We have big buildings, we have, we have welcome centers, we have greeters, we have uh, sometimes cafes or coffee shops, and we have these great places where we meet to worship, but that wasn't how it worked for the first century church. They didn't have all of those things going on, these key central places where they could just bring everybody in and one leader. It was mostly house to house. 
There was this teaching that was going on and this connecting that was happening with people. And so here's what I want you to capture on evangelism and discipleship. God calls us the body of Christ for a reason. He requires us to work together if we want to accomplish our purpose. It's impossible for the hand to slap, the hand to say, I'm not going to pick it up, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to hold the mic, and this job get done. It's got to work together. He didn't just call you a family. He didn't call us a family. He went deeper and called us the body. Because I got cousins I don't invite to the cookout. (laughs) Right? We all got those cousins. But when you're talking about the body, we either work together or we don't get it done. And that's how we are to grow in evangelizing and discipleship is to build relationships with the body outside of the three hours a week we spend in this building. We will never succeed in evangelism or discipleship the way that God intended us to in this building. It's impossible. we got to teach parents. We can't save your kids having them for an hour and 45 minutes a week. It's got to be at the home. The conversations, the praying, and then church reinforces what's taking place in our groups where we're studying and working together. That's how evangelism and discipleship works. I'm ending with this. Hebrews 5, 12 and 13 says, For when for the time you ought to be teachers. When you should be teachers. Brother Gleason paraphrases this verse with, How long do you have to be in church before you start teaching someone else? If you gauge where you're at in your discipleship style and life and how you're doing it or your evangelism, you can, it, it, it gives you a scale of your level of maturity. And this is no diss. This is the kind of teaching we've got to have, right? We've got to have someone get up and say, listen, we can't claim to be spiritually mature when we're not discipling because at what point is the fruit tree or the apple tree successful? Like when it springs up out of the ground? And it's like a little weed deal. When it gets big and tall and it's past you and it can provide branches and leaves of shade? No. When it reproduces fruit. It's the only time. Until then, it's just another tree. As people that are saved and of the body of Christ, we reach our level of maturity and it's best seen when we're bearing fruit and we're reproducing in others who Christ has brought us to be. Let's stand together. Reach, connect, disciple. That's the mission of Calvary Tabernacle. Pastor Carson, when he came, he brought that very quickly to the forefront that, guys, this is our mission. Reach, connect, and disciple. And how do we get there? We get there by taking intentional time. Start off really easy, guys, by just spending time talking to people about things you already know. And it doesn't have to be something big that you've done. Pick somebody else because it's always easier that way. Man, my friend did this. Or at church, this happened. Or, man, I would love to tell you, sometimes you feel nervous about sharing your testimony. Start with someone else's testimony. I've told, uh, oh, what's my guy's name? Doug. 
Smith's testimony so many times. So many times. We have similar stories. But I've used his testimony over and over and over again about God filling him with the Holy Ghost in a crack house. Like he wasn't far from using and then he cried out to God. And because he cried out with a sincere heart, God filled him with the Holy Ghost. Right? I tell that story. You tell that story. You want a story to tell somebody? Tell my story. I hadn't been baptized. I hadn't received the Holy Ghost. I was addicted to crack, weed, acid, every drug, alcohol, cigarettes that you could think of. And all I could remember is I wanted so bad to feel what my mom said I could feel. And she had always told me, son, if you just cry out, he'll do it. And so what did I do? In a moment where I was finally fed up, where my pride finally set aside, I cried out. And having had done nothing else, Right? I heard. It eventually calls me to believe. I cried out. And I haven't touched one of those things in over 20 years. Right? God does that. God does that. Use somebody else's story. So our prayer tonight as we're closing here is that God would give us a burden for being a disciple maker. God, that we would just hunger to be what You have created us to be. Help us, God, to see it in the text. Help us, God, to see it lived out in Your life, Jesus. Lord, the stakes are so high. God, if they don't hear it, if they don't experience it, Jesus, they'll never make it, God. God, give me a burden for it, Jesus. Give me a heart for it, God. Where I don't see them the way I've always seen them. God, I see them through Your eyes. I see the homeless man differently, God. I see the drug dealer differently, God. The prostitute differently, Jesus. God, I'm willing to give of my time to spend it with someone else to tell them about You. To teach them about You. God, to lead them closer to You. Not one sermon, not one Bible study, God, but my life. I want it to belong to You. God, I pray that You would just continue to draw this group, this young adult group, God, this remarkable group, God, to a place where You can continue to use them. I pray against fear. I pray against doubt, Jesus. God, everyone in this room, has the power under Your anointing to go forth and to be a witness for evangelism and for discipleship, God. They don't have to be trained through a Bible college. God, they don't have to know all the answers. God, You can use them right where they're at, Jesus. In their circle of friends, in their circle of influence. With people at their job, God. People at their school, Jesus. God, give us a boldness for it, though. Help us to not be afraid or not be timid, God. For the enemy not to have his way. God, give us victory in this city, Lord. Help us, God, to be a light into the darkness, God. Help us to believe it with all our heart, Jesus. Yes, God. We can do it with your help. We can do it, God, with you going before us. Greater is he that is in us. God, we know it, Jesus. Let us believe it to the place where we can live it out in our lives. Thank you for it, Jesus. Can we just put our hands together and magnify the Lord? Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Jesus.